the modern era of management uh, of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma was ushered in with the introduction of rituximab to the CHOP regimen. The landmark Gila trial, which was initially published in 2002 in the New England Journal of Medicine in older adults with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, clearly showed a substantial improvement in overall survival with the addition of rituximab to CHOP compared to CHOP alone. More contemporary data from the Goya trial, uh, which compared rituximab CHOP to obinutuzumab CHOP and found no added benefit to obinutuzumab, does show the ongoing uh, uh, persistence of benefit for the R-CHOP regimen, with cures seen in about 70% of patients treated with R-CHOP in the Goya trial. We also see an increasingly complicated landscape at the time of relapsed refractory disease. Typically, when patients relapse after initial therapy of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, we consider whether they are eligible for transplant or not, meaning high-dose chemotherapy with autologous stem cell support. Historically, patients who are considered sufficiently young and fit to undergo high-dose chemotherapy would receive a platinum-based second-line regimen such as R-ICE, R-DHAP, or R-GDP, and uh, go to a beam-conditioned auto stem cell transplant uh, for chemotherapy-sensitive disease, whereas transplant-ineligible patients would be treated with a palliative intent regimen without the goal of cure. I'll show you some data in a few minutes where this has actually been turned on its head recently with the uh, uh, presentation of two important trials which compared anti-CD19 CAR T-cells to a salvage chemotherapy and transplant-based approach in patients with early relapsed or primary refractory DLBCL. And two of those clinical trials using either axacabdogene silalusal or lysocabdogene marilusal showed significant superiority of CAR T-cells in the second-line setting for those high-risk patients. So today, at first relapse, we would say for a patient who's relapsing early or, or is primary refractory, we would ask not are they transplant eligible, but are they CAR T-cell eligible? And for a patient who's a candidate for CAR T-cells and has access to CAR T-cells, uh, either AxiCell or LysaCell would be uh, the best possible second-line treatment. For patients uh, who are transplant eligible and relapsing later, uh, meaning beyond one year from their initial uh, uh, chemoimmunotherapy, then standard salvage chemotherapy and transplant can still be considered for those patients. Whereas transplant ineligible or CAR T-cell ineligible patients would still be considered for palliative-based approaches, uh, which today would include newer options, including tafacitumab lenalidomide and polituzumab combined with bendamustine and rituximab. In the next line of setting, we have even more options available. Uh, we still have CAR T-cells available in the third line or later setting for patients who did not receive them in second line. Tafacitumab lenalidomide and polituzumab VR are available for patients who didn't receive them in second line and additional newer agents, including the anti-CD19-directed antibody drug conjugate longcastuximab tesserine, the XPO1 inhibitor Selenexor, or in certain subsets of patients, other novel agents, such as the immune checkpoint inhibitor pembrolizumab in primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma, or the BTK inhibitor ibrutinib in non-germinal centaur or activated B-cell type diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Here's a quick summary of some of those drugs that I just highlighted for you, highlighting their mechanism of action, be they the anti-CD19 antibody tafacitumab combined with letalidomide, the anti-CD79B antibody drug conjugate polituzumab 
combined with BR, Lancastuximab tesserine, as I already mentioned, any of three available CAR T cells in the third line or later setting, uh, as well as uh, BTK inhibitors and the XPO1 inhibitor, Selinexor. Let's review some of the data highlighting these newer agents. The ELMINE trial evaluated tafacitimab, the anti-CD19 monoclonal antibody, combined with lenalidomide with the goal of enhancing antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity. The lenalidomide was administered at 25 milligrams a day on days 1 through 21 of each 28-day cycle for up to one year. Often patients require dose reductions as that can be a high dose and result in significant cytopenias. The tafacitimab was administered intravenously once a week for the first three months and then once every other week uh, until progression, which is a lot of infusions uh, for patients uh, who are maintaining response. These eligibility criteria veered towards a lower risk patient population overall. These patients had to be considered transplant ineligible, but could have received no more than three prior lines of therapy. And this study excluded patients with primary refractory disease, as well as patients with double hit lymphoma. So this was a bit of a lower risk patient population. That said, 81 patients were enrolled. The median age was an older population at 72 years old. Half of these patients had uh, IPI scores of three to five. Uh, the median number of prior regimens was two, but a number of patients were receiving this as second line therapy after just one prior treatment. And 44% of patients were refractory to their prior line of therapy. Again, none of them were primary refractory to their upfront regimen. With that caveat, I'll note that the response rates and durability actually appear quite excellent. The overall response rate is 58% with a complete response rate of 40%. With extended follow-up now beyond three years, you can see the median duration of response among responding patients was a very encouraging 44 months. The median progression-free survival for the entire population was one year, and the median overall survival was just under three years. So responding patients can have encouraging durability of their responses, particularly in the second line setting, where tafacitimab lenalidomide has become my preferred option for a non-transplant, non-CAR T-cell eligible patient in the second line uh, treatment setting for diffuse large B-cell lymphomas. I think there are some remaining questions uh, related to this drug. It does target CD19, which is the same target as CAR T cells, which we use with the goal of cure. Can we give tafacitimab prior to CAR T cells in a patient we might ultimately take the CAR T cell therapy in the third line setting? We don't know yet whether giving a prior CD19 directed regimen might impair the curative intent of a subsequent CAR T cell. So in general, I currently avoid the use of a different CD19 directed regimen in the second line setting for a patient I intend to take to a CD19-directed CAR T-cell if needed in the third line setting. For a patient without intent to ultimately take to a CAR T-cell, I think this would be reasonable. The other natural question is, will it work after CAR T-cell failure, uh, meaning in a patient who's, who's, who's received CAR T-cells, subsequently relapsed? We have no data in that setting, but that warrants ongoing investigation, and it's certainly an FDA-approved available option for a patient who's relapsing after CAR T-cells. Is tafacitimab better than rituximab uh, uh, in the setting of uh, CAR T-cell failure? We don't know. Um, neither has been studied in that context, but I think if we're using lenalidomide, 
than the tafacitumab lenalidomide regimen based on the L-mine data, uh, I think is my preferred approach uh, when using a lenalidomide-based therapy now in diffuse large B-cell lymphomas. Polituzumab vidotin is another appealing option that can be used as early as second-line therapy. And as I'll show you, uh, uh, may even be appropriate in the frontline setting. But in the relapse refractory setting, polituzumab vidotin was combined with bendamustine rituximab and compared to BR alone in patients with relapsed or refractory DLBCL. Polituzumab is an anti-CD79B monoclonal antibody covalently linked to monomethyl orostatin E, which is a microtubule toxin in this antibody drug conjugate. Patients received fixed duration therapy with POLA BR administered on days one and two of a 21-day cycle for a total of six cycles. You can see here that 40 patients were treated in both arms. The median age was 70 years. Most of these patients did have high IPI risk disease and the median prior regimens was two. The overall response rate was 45% with 40% of patients achieving a complete response a similar CR rate as was seen in the L-MINE trial of tafacitumab lenalidomide. I will note that the progression-free survival was substantially better for BR compared to BR alone. BR performed fairly badly in this trial with a median PFS of only two months and a median PFS of the BR arm of seven months. This doesn't look quite as favorable as the tafacitumab lenalidomide data that I showed you uh, where the progression-free survival is closer to one year. But I'll remind you that this population had some higher risk patients than the L-MIND trial. And also the L-MIND regimen administers ongoing tafacitumab every two weeks uh, until progression, whereas this is a fixed duration regimen. So I think these are all considerations that can be taken into account when selecting second line or later therapy for patients with DLBCL. Where do I consider BR? I consider this a good option in non-transplant, non-CAR T-cell patients in the second line or later setting. Um, I will say for a patient who might go to CAR T-cells in the third line setting, I will often use POLA-R in the second line if I need that or as bridging therapy, but I'll avoid the use of bendamustine in that context because I don't want to poison the patient's T-cells with bendamustine if I might ultimately want those T-cells to, to, uh, to uh, be manufactured into CAR T-cells. I do use polituzumab or tuximab in patients who are relapsing after CAR T-cell therapy as well. And I also have caution using bendamustine in the post-CAR T-cell setting as those patients are often very chemotherapy refractory and have also received fludarabine as part of their lymphodepleting chemotherapy. And so they might have very little hematologic reserve for the bendamustine. But polituzumab or tuximab, even without the bendamustine, can be a very effective treatment for relapse and refractory DLBCL. Lancastuximab tesserine is another antibody drug conjugate. This drug also targets CD19, and this uses a pyrrolobenzodiazepine uh, dimer toxin and study, was studied in the LOTUS-2 trial. This was a monotherapy trial of lancastuximab tesserine in 145 patients who were relapse refractory DLBCL. This was also time-limited therapy, uh, which was given every three weeks for up to one year of, uh, of treatment. Uh, and this was a high-risk population. Patients had a median age of 66. Uh, this did include patients not only with DLBCL, but also patients with high-grade B-cell lymphoma, including 10% of patients with double-hit lymphoma. 
These were more heavily pretreated patients than in either L the Elmine study or the, um, uh, the study of polituzumab BR. You can see here, these patients had a median of three prior lines of therapy, and 58% of them were refractory to their prior line of therapy. 9% of patients had even relapsed after a prior CAR T-cell. Despite the high-risk nature of this population, the overall response rate was 48%, with half of those patients achieving a complete response. The median duration of response among the 70 responding patients was quite good at about 13 months, with a median progression-free survival for the entire population of five months. There is a unique toxicity profile associated with long-tetuximab tesserine. You can see cytopenias with this drug. You can also see uh, some uh, nausea and vomiting, uh, as with uh, many chemotherapy uh, agents, including antibody drug conjugates. You can see some LFT elevations with long-tetuximab. And a unique toxicity is a peripheral edema syndrome, uh, mitigation of which requires a dexamethasone pretreatment with, dexamethas with dexamethasone administered the day before, the day of, and the day after each long castuximab tesserine treatment. Let's turn our attention to chimeric antigen receptor modified T cells, these important drugs that I've alluded to now multiple times, which offer the opportunity for cure in patients with previously incurable relapse or refractory DLBCL. And a chimeric antigen receptor incorporates a direct antigen binding domain, usually CD19, that is linked intracellularly to a co-stimulatory domain, usually 41DB or CD28, to fully activate the T cell in concert with the CD3 zeta intracellular signaling domain. This chimeric antigen receptor is transduced into the T cell using a lentiviral or retroviral vector. Those cells are then propagated uh, ex vivo and then reinfused into the patient after administration of lymphodepleting chemotherapy to prevent rejection of the modified T cell. This is a single infusion of a living drug, uh, and it can uh, ideally eradicate disease in a way that, unlike allogeneic transplant, requires no immunosuppression and no risk of graft versus host disease. There are, of course, costs associated with this regimen. There are logistics associated with the apheresis and manufacturing, and there's unique approaches to supportive care and management of immune-related toxicities. The first approved uh, CAR T cell for diffuse large B cell lymphoma was AxiCell, which was studied in the ZUMA-1 trial in patients with uh, chemotherapy refractory DLBCL. The median age in the ZUMA-1 trial was 58. Uh, you can see that a quarter of patients were older, 65 years or older, uh, who might not be considered candidates for stem cell transplant, for example. These were heavily pretreated. By definition and inclusion criteria, 100% of these patients were chemotherapy refractory, defined as having no response to their prior treatment or relapsing within one year of an auto stem cell transplant. The overall response rate in this trial was a remarkable 74%, with 54% of patients achieving a complete response. And the progression-free survival curve shows durable responses with 42% of patients progression-free and alive at two years, meaning very certainly cured at that time point. Just over half of patients remain alive at two years, which is significantly better than what would expect with conventional therapies. The Juliet trial studied Tysogen leclusal in a similar population, though slightly lower risk because these patients 
were not required to be chemotherapy refractory. You can see a quarter of these patients had double hit lymphoma uh, and uh, just over half of patients were refractory to their immediate prior line of therapy. About half of these patients had relapsed after prior autotransplant. The overall response rate was 52% with 40% of patients achieving a complete response. If we look two years later, about 30% of patients remain in ongoing progression-free survival. The TRANSCEND trial evaluated the third CAR T-cell product evaluated in multiply relapsed large B-cell lymphoma. This is a study of lysocabagine marilusal or lysocell. Lysocell was studied in the TRANSCEND trial, which is the largest CAR T-cell trial reported to date with 270 evaluable patients. This study included patients that previously were not included in any pivotal trial for CAR T-cells. That included patients with secondary CNS involvement by their lymphoma, it also included patients with grade 3B follicular lymphoma and patients with transformed lymphoma from diseases other than follicular lymphoma, meaning transformed marginal zone, small lymphocytic lymphoma, and Waldenstrom's who were excluded from other studies. This study also did not require any minimal hematologic parameters, no minimal absolute lymphocyte count, and allowed patients with moderate renal or cardiac dysfunction, so potentially enrolled more of a real-world population of patients with relapsed refractory DLBCL. The overall response rate was quite good at 73%, with 53% of patients achieving a complete response and half of patients in ongoing uh, response at two years. If we look at extended follow-up uh, of the study at two years, you see that the two-year progression-free survival is 41%, pretty much identical to what was seen with AxiCell in the Zuma-1 study, with an overall survival also uh, similar to AxiCell of 51% at two years. An additional uh, regimen that's available now for patients with relapse refractory large cell lymphoma is Selinexor, which is an oral XPO1 inhibitor or a selective inhibitor of nuclear export. This is an oral agent administered twice weekly and we gained FDA approval in the 127 patient SADL trial. This trial had fairly um, selective eligibility criteria. Uh, I think the most important eligibility criteria uh, can be noted that for patients who, um, who had responded to their prior uh, line of therapy for DLBCL, they had to be two months away from their prior treatment. But for patients who had no response to their prior treatment, meaning they had stable disease uh, or progressive disease after their prior chemotherapy, they had to wait 98 days or longer before enrolling on this trial. Now, of course, there aren't many patients who fail to respond to their prior line of therapy and can then wait 98 days to go on another treatment. So effectively, this trial uh, was uh, excluded patients uh, who were not responding to their prior line of therapy and cherry-picked a bit uh, to, for a more um, low-risk patient population. The overall response rate and complete response rate are fair, uh, but I would say not akin to the other options we have available with a complete response rate of only 12%, a median progression-free survival of less than three months. This drug is also associated with fairly significant uh, toxicities, including gastrointestinal toxicities, uh, a lot of anorexia, uh, uh, feelings of malaise and asthenia, and can be a very difficult drug to tolerate. Uh, as a result of its fairly minimal efficacy and significant toxicity, it isn't a drug that's gained uh, widespread use in the treatment for relapse refractory DLBCL, but nonetheless remains a treatment option. 
Now, there are paradigm shifts uh, that are uh, moving the ground beneath us in how we manage diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Polituzumab, as I alluded to earlier, was recently uh, studied as a component of upfront therapy, and I'm going to show you data from the Polarix trial. I already told you that CAR T-cells have been studied in the second-line setting compared to standard salvage chemotherapy and transplant, and a very exciting new class of drugs, I-specific antibodies that bind both B-cell lymphomas and T-cells uh, uh, to enhance cell-mediated cytotoxicity are uh, increasingly showing encouraging uh, benefit in relapse refractory disease. This is the Polarix trial, which, which substituted polituzumab vedotin for vincristine in the RCHOP regimen. And so patients with previously untreated DLBCL with an IPI score of two to five, so selecting for higher risk patients, were randomized one to one to six cycles of pola RCHP or standard RCHOP. Patients in both arms received two additional uh, doses of rituximab. The primary endpoint was progression-free survival. Here's the analysis for the primary endpoint, which shows significant improvement in progression-free survival, favoring pola RCHP relative to RCHOP. You can see here that the hazard ratio is 0.73, which amounts to a 27% uh, reduction in the risk of progression or death favoring polar RCHP, which translates to uh, an absolute uh, benefit in terms of 6.5%, with a two-year PFS of 77% for polar RCHP and 70% for RCHOP. These regimens uh, were similarly well-tolerated, as you can see here, uh, with peripheral neuropathy being similar in both arms, that uh, being the predominant side effect, of course, of polituzumab vedotin, but can also be seen with vincristine. We see some nausea, some cytopenia, some GI toxicity, slightly increased rate of neutropenic fever uh, with the polar RCHP arm, but not in the range of, of clinical significance. So I would say that polar RCHP modestly improves progression-free survival uh, without adding significant toxicity and is expected to earn FDA approval as an upfront therapy in patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. The next question that's emerging is what I alluded to earlier in optimal management of second-line treatment. Now, the standard second-line therapy going back for quite some time has been salvage platinum-based chemotherapy for transplant-eligible patients, followed by high-dose chemotherapy with autologous stem cell transplant for patients with chemotherapy-sensitive disease. Now, historically, in the pre-rituximab era, this cured about half of patients, as you can see reflected in the CORAL trial of giving salvage chemotherapy in patients who relapsed after RCHOP alone. But in the modern era, reflected uh, in the ORCHARD trial, patients relapsing after RCHOP and then treated uh, with rituximab or ofatumumab-based salvage chemotherapy actually have very low rates of complete response. Only a minority of these patients can actually proceed to transplant because they usually don't have chemotherapy-sensitive disease, with only about a quarter of patients remaining progression-free at a year and a half. I think this tells us that high-dose chemotherapy uh, and salvage platinum-based chemotherapy tend to fail the majority of patients with relapse refractory DLBCL in the modern era. That's particularly true for patients relapsing early after RCHOP, Reflected in the uh, curve on your right in the gold color, uh, these are patients who relapsed within one year after RCHOP therapy and then received 
rituximab-based platinum chemotherapy and transplant, you can see fewer than 20% of these patients achieved a durable remission, showing us we need to do better. How can we do better? Well, a natural question is take one of those anti-CD19 CAR T cells that's working so well in inducing durable remissions and cures in the third line or later setting and compare them to a standard of care approach of salvage chemotherapy and transplant in the second line setting. We now have no fewer than three randomized trials that have done just that. The Zuma-7 trial evaluated AxiCell compared to the standard of care of platinum-based chemotherapy and high-dose chemotherapy for chemosensitive disease in patients with second-line diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. You can see in this trial, uh, which was reported now with uh, two years follow-up and was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, these patients were all transplant eligible, so they had a median age of 59 uh, years old. Uh, these patients um, uh, were either relapsed refractory, were either relapsed or primary refractory, and importantly, the majority of these patients were uh, primary refractory with three quarters of patients uh, having not had a uh, complete response to their initial chemoimmunotherapy. The remaining quarter of patients relapsed within one year of RCHOP-like treatment. About 15% of these patients had double hit lymphoma. You can see that the, uh, the primary endpoint of event-free survival was fairly dramatically superior, favoring AxiCell over the standard of care with a hazard ratio of 0 0.40, which is 60% reduction in risk of progression, uh, death, primary treatment failure, or need for new cancer therapy. Uh, this reflected a median event-free survival of eight months for uh, CAR T-cell-treated patients and only two months in patients treated with a standard of care. The overall survival is trending in favor of AxiCell as well, uh, however, does not quite reach statistical significance at this time. Based on these encouraging data, AxiCell has now been FDA approved as a second line therapy for patients with diffuse large B cell lymphoma that is primary refractory or relapsing within one year of upfront chemoimmunotherapy. It is also included as a category one recommendation in the NCCN guideline. From my perspective, any second line patient who's primary refractory or relapsing within one year should be considered for, uh, for a CAR T cell such as AxiCell as their second line treatment today, clearly superior uh, to, uh, to the prior standard of care of platinum-based chemotherapy and transplant. The second trial in this study to uh, show an improvement for CAR T cells was a transform trial starting Lysocell versus standard of care. This uh, study uh, enrolled 184 patients to either Lysocell or the standard of care, again, platinum-based chemotherapy, uh, followed by autotransplant for patients with chemotherapy-sensitive disease. You can see here that these were, again, primarily primary refractory patients, with three-quarters of patients being primary refractory, and a quarter of patients in this study had double-hit lymphoma. Once again, the event-free survival was significantly superior, favoring CAR T-cells over standard of care, with a 65% reduction in risk of treatment failure, death, or need for new cancer therapy with a median EFS of 10 months for Lysocell and only two months in standard of care. This study has a shorter median follow-up of only 6.2 months, but again, the overall survival curve shows a clear trend in favor of Lysocell with a hazard ratio suggesting a 49% reduction in risk of death 
in these patients, but a constant con uh, confidence interval that just reaches one. Well, I'll be interested to see how this overall survival curve looks with ongoing follow-up. I'll note that these curves in overall survival are separating despite the fact that patients in the TRANSFORM trial, unlike patients in the ZUMA7 trial, had built-in crossover. So patients who are failing the standard of care arm could cross over and receive Lysacel uh, at the time of uh, treatment failure for the standard of care arm. And in fact, more than half of patients on the standard of care arm did indeed cross over and receive Lysacel as a third-line therapy. A third trial has also been reported and now published. This is looking at Tysacel versus standard of care, a similar uh, a trial as Zuma 7 and uh, Transform, though with some slight differences in the design. There was a longer time to receiving CAR T cells in this trial compared to the other two trials, and patients often had to fail more than one type of prior of salvage platinum-based chemotherapy before proceeding to CAR T cells. Nonetheless, this was also a large study uh, as shown here. Uh, and unlike the prior two studies, uh, as shown on the event-free survival curve, Tysacel showed no difference whatsoever compared to standard of care in the second line setting. So unfortunately, the median event-free survival for Tysacel was three months, and it was also three months in the standard of care arm uh, with a median follow-up of 10 months on this study. What this means is that Tysacel is not an appropriate second line therapy, whereas Lysacel and Axacel both significantly improve outcome in second line DLBCL compared to the standard of care of platinum-based chemotherapy. That means Axacel or Lysacel, once it's FDA approved, should be considered the standard second line therapy for a primary refractory or early relapse patient with DLBCL who's an appropriate candidate for CAR T cell therapy. I'll note that the majority of patients, in my opinion, who are not eligible for a transplant may still be eligible for CAR T cells in the second line setting. Now, of course, we can't consider CAR T cells without also considering their unique toxicity profiles. Obviously, these three randomized trials in the second line setting emerge showing that either AxiCell or Lysacel is superior to standard of care as a second line treatment though there were differences uh, in some of these designs as highlighted on this slide. But I also want to highlight the toxicities. As you can see here, uh, um, that uh, despite the Zuma 7 and Transform showing superior efficacy, uh, they also showed unique toxicity profiles. Severe cytokine release syndrome occurred in 6% of patients who received AxiCell, and severe neurologic toxicities occurred in 21% of patients treated with AxiCell on the Zuma 7 trial. Now, I, both CRS and neurotoxicity uh, are, can be um, identified and reversed in the vast majority of patients. These are uh, time-limited uh, toxicities that can be successfully managed, usually with tocilizumab with or without corticosteroids. Lysacabagine marilusol, or Lysacel, which is studied in the TRANSFORM trial, is associated with lower rates of cytokine release syndrome and neurologic toxicities. And you can see that patients who received Lysacel on the TRANSFORM study had only a 1% rate of severe cytokine release syndrome and only a 4% rate of uh, severe neurologic toxicities. So between these two products, I would say they both show similar benefit in the second line setting, but with a more favorable toxicity profile favoring Lysacel. 
So this is how I now approach second line therapy and later in relapse refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. We can still consider whether a patient is fit for high-dose chemotherapy or not fit for high-dose chemotherapy. But ultimately, high-dose chemotherapy is probably not the best option for most patients with relapse refractory DLBCL. For patients who are relapsing early uh, or primary refractory, I'll ask whether those patients are fit for CAR T-cell therapy and whether they are transplant eligible or not, patients who are CAR T-cell eligible with early relapsed or primary refractory DLBCL will go to CAR T-cell therapy with either AxiCell or Lysacell once that drug also earns FDA approval. Patients who are fit for high-dose chemotherapy and relapse later than one year should still be considered for standard platinum-based chemotherapy and autologous transplant. For patients unfit for high-dose chemotherapy who are also unfit for CAR T-cells, they would go to a second-line regimen, which is personalized to the patient. For that patient population, I would usually select tafacitumab lenalidomide based on the L-mine data that I showed you earlier, but polituzumab BR uh, or even our Gemox would be other options in that setting. Once patients relapse after second-line setting, uh, the third-line treatment is personalized based on what they received in a prior line of therapy and include the options I just mentioned, as well as long pestuximab, tesserine, uh, and others. Now, as the field moves forward, we're seeing this very exciting emerging class of drugs called bispecific antibodies, which bind to both CD20 on the surface of the B-cell lymphoma and CD3 on the surface of the T-cell. Think of this as this antibody binding to the tumor cell and then throwing a lasso around the patient's own T effector cell, bringing it in and having it uh, exert cytotoxicity and directly cell kill uh, the patient's lymphoma cell. There are four bispecific uh, antibodies targeting CD20 and CD3 in advanced development for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. These include epcloritumab, mosunetuzumab, glofitumab, and odronextumab. This is uh, the phase one, two study of mosunetuzumab administered as a subcutaneous antibody. Now by directly engaging T cells, we can see cytokine release syndrome, similar to what we see with CAR T cell therapy. A dosing strategy that leads to a, a ramp up in dosing over the first 21 day cycle has been shown to mitigate the risk of cytokine release syndrome. This phase one, two study included 51 patients with aggressive NHL, and 11 patients with indolent NHL. Uh, you can see the overall response rate among aggressive NHL was 29%. Among indolent disease, it was 82%. And for the CR rates, it was 18% for aggressive NHL and an impressive 64% for indolent NHL. The cytokine release syndrome was uh, more favorable in a step-up dosing strategy that started with five, then went to 45 and 45 milligrams. In those 27 patients, the risk of cytokine release syndrome was 15%, and that was entirely low grade. Importantly, all complete responders in the study were, were ongoing at the time of last follow-up, but follow-up remains limited at the time of this report. Glofitimab is another bispecific antibody. Uh, glofitimab uh, is administered intravenously. It also gives a clearing dose of obinutuzumab, which binds to a different CD20 moiety than the glofitimab does. That allows clearance of CD20 positive cells to prime minimize the risk of cytokine release syndrome. 
This study gave obinutuzumab pretreatment and then a slow dose escalation of uh, the um, blofitimab, uh, followed by fixed dosing every three weeks uh, for up to 12 total cycles. Large study, 258 patients treated with a median of three prior therapies, with most of these patients having diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, 29% having follicular lymphoma. The overall response rate for aggressive NHL was 54%, but that increased to 79% of patients treated at the recommended phase two dose, with 71% of patients at the recommended phase two dose achieving a complete response in aggressive NHL. This is an encouraging antibody in that population. We also see excellent result in indolent NHL, as was seen in the prior study of mosunituzumab, with an 81% overall response rate and a CR rate of 69%. If we look at the duration of complete responders, you can see very encouraging duration of complete response in both aggressive and indolent patients alike. 